This is the Zealous Podcast with Rocky Snyder, the show that's all about the pros behind the pros. Welcome to this edition of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, and with me today is Kate Weiss. Now, Kate is the sports science coordinator, and I hope I got that title right, but she's going to correct me if I'm not, with the World Series champion LA Dodgers. First of all, congratulations on the win, Kate. Thank you. Thank you. It's a crazy season and amazing that we pulled it off. I gotta say, you've never seen a season like this. How many, when normally there's 164 games, Two. 162 games, and you said we're not going to waste time. We don't have to need. We don't need no thinking 162. How many games did you guys play? Not including the playoffs. 60. 60. What do you think about that being just the regular way to go about next baseball season? We just do a, a 60 game season, call it a day, and go right to the playoffs definitely changes the game and makes every game worth that much more if you think about it just from a numbers you know perspective the weight of each game compared to a normal season is I think 2.7 games and then we didn't have quite as many off days either so a lot of the strategies and things that you might use in a normal season are quite different and you're playing a lot of the same teams a lot more frequently so you have to get quite uh, creative with your strategy. Well, I must say, being born in New England and, uh, and, and weaned on Boston sports, the condensed season on any sport doesn't suit me at all. Not, not at all. The Celtics were out. The Bruins were out. The Red Sox didn't stand a chance. It's a rebuilding decade as far as I'm concerned when it comes to the Patriots. So, yeah, I'm not, not sitting as good as you guys. So tell me first your role is is a sports science coordinator could you define sports science first of all yes so depending on the team and the organization and how things are structured sports science can be a number of things but my specific role with the dodgers is more so um monitoring how much they're training and playing game type stuff changes in performance, the actual assessments we use during spring training and during the season, the tech that we use, figuring out what works and what doesn't so that we can make our athletes extremely resilient. In addition to myself, there's another department, performance science, which is much more focused on the technology component and biomechanics. But all of that's obviously concerned across the board and we all work together. And so are you pursuing means of assessment outside of what you're already doing? Is that your role also to see what's coming down the pipe for technology, for, for capturing on video, for force plate assessments or anything like that? Well, the goal is always for us to use methods that are going to help us assess where our athletes at and improve on important qualities. So if sprinting, is important, then we need to find a way or way to consistently and reliably measure that. And through training and what we do with our strength coaches, improve upon that if that's the case. So if there is a better method for looking at something or if there's something that we hadn't considered that might be an important component, you know, my job is to kind of help us see if those specific metrics and tools for assessing those are 
useful for our group and then to bring them in and figure out how to organically, you know, include it in part of what our guys do. And how big is your support team? Because I imagine you work with others. It's not, you're not the only kind of person looking at that, obviously. How many people do you work with outside of the players, obviously? So specific to sports science, I am the only person in that dedicated role. And I work with strength and conditioning, medical skills coaches, to come up with how we look at things, what we're assessing, to actually implementing the assessments and also the changes that we need to make, you know, player to player and any sort of other specific things like if we're trying to build up a newer pitcher or actually make mechanical changes, how do we readjust other things to make sure that we're able to do that without uh, negatively impacting the player's capacity and performance. So you meet on a regular basis with the strength conditioning coach, with the athletic trainer, with, uh, do you have a team dietitian or is that more personal between athletes? We have two and they also are the um, chefs for the team. So in addition to doing all the nutritional interventions, they're also cooking for the guys, which I think is a really unique and good thing because it allows them to see you know how different guys eat their preferences and proclivities and then come up with strategies that the guys are actually going to want to do because it fits how they like to eat and so your major role is truly coordinating between all these different disciplines which one do you find the to be just your own personal kind of opinion, which are the easier ones to coordinate and which do you find the most challenging? I don't know that um, easier would be the term I would use. I think it's more um, the complexity of certain things, right? So depending on what we're looking at and maybe what we're trying to tweak or change, how we approach that can be very simple and straightforward and in other instances like if it's something more specific to a skill then it can be a little bit more complex and I think too um, with each different group and the individuals that are there their level of understanding and comfort with sports science is different and not it has nothing to do with aptitude it has more just to do with exposure so Sometimes it's more challenging if there's a little bit more adaptation required to make sure that we're speaking the same language versus someone else where we're already on the same page and maybe we've already been doing something specific for a little bit. So I think that's more the case. But, you know, with each group, different things come up that can be quite challenging to figure out. And honestly, that's why I came to baseball for the challenge. Uh, that takes me right to that question of how did you get there? Like what you landed in a place and it, yeah, of course it's a male dominated sport and so on. we can talk about your emergence into this, your acceptance and the, the, tri- the trials and tribulations. And no, but what got you there? What, what inspired you and how did you land that position? You know, I've always been um, really lucky to connect with people 
all along my educational journey and just at conferences and with all sorts of things. So I actually met my boss, the uh, director of performance and uh, athletic development, I believe is his title. Um, I met him through another person that I was doing some work with and it was just more to connect and to kind of see what baseball was like. And yeah, we just really clicked. And from there, I was offered the position and decided to move into baseball, which is pretty cool. Very cool. I know for in my, my field, my position, I get athletes from all walks of life and all various sports. And I'm not a sport coach. I'm not a skill coach. I'm more of a movement person. So as long as I can understand their physical needs and demands for their sport, I think that gives me a, quite a bit of information to help them get to the, where they want to go. So do you find that you, you didn't necessarily have to know the ins and outs of baseball to coordinate everything that you're doing right now, but I imagine that you've learned quite a bit in the position that you're in, in regards to baseball. Oh, absolutely. I think for me, what I like about working in different sports is the approach is always the same and that you're trying to figure out what are the needs of the athlete? What are the questions that we have? What are the you know key areas that we need to look at so that we can improve performance for these guys and mitigate the risk of preventable injury, right? Their job is to play and our job is to make sure that they can play and play well. So that to me is, is the same blueprint regardless of the sport. So we're always looking to figure out what questions do we have? What do we need to know in order to make changes, maintain some aspect or you know, work on something else? So coming in, it was really learning what are the needs of a pitcher versus a position player and within position players, catchers, infielders, outfielders, utility guys that may play both to then understand, okay, what do we need to track? What are the types of assessments that might be useful for those specific players or positions rather and then to go from there and I think what was really interesting was as an outsider coming into baseball I didn't really truly realize how challenging it is to play 162 games games that are not an hour there are several hours they're traveling every week. Our guys often play on the East Coast, so we're going back and forth across double time zones. You play a game, you get on a plane, you get off a plane, you play another game. At the minor league level, that's a whole other interesting thing, right? You have guys that are moving up and down between levels. They're working on developing specific skills. So there's all sorts of different, like, little things that come into play that I really truly had no idea about prior to coming in. So it was a really fun experience. And then now feeling, you know, a lot more comfortable with my understanding and starting to get a much deeper understanding of the sport and what discerns someone who's at the most elite level to the lower end of an elite level to sub-elite and the important components of development it's fascinating and way more than I ever expected that's pretty cool you mentioned the farm teams or the minor leagues are you 
are, are you overseeing that aspect of it too? So yeah. not just the majors, not just the active players, but you were talking hundreds of players and the people that are coaching them, you're coordinating all that. And I'm working with them directly, yes. So it's really fun. Uh, Pre-COVID, I'm based with our major league team, but when they would go on the road, I would go to all of our affiliates to visit, check in with players, meet with the staff there in case they had questions or there was a way that I could support or help in some capacity. So it was quite cool because I got to kind of see the whole trajectory of what it's like when you're in rookie ball and high A and triple A and then the majors. Wow. Yeah, that's a, a broad spectrum. We've had our share of some of those athletes walk through these doors and uh, the, the comforts, the excitement, I mean, just the, the emotions themselves range quite greatly depending upon if they're seasoned veterans or if they're really just chomping at the bit to get into the majors. That's, that's exactly. So I, I have to ask, you know, baseball is a very incestuous kind of inbred sport. Like if you grew up playing baseball and you're in the majors, chances are you're going to have a career in baseball for your lifetime. But that wasn't your case. In, and I'm sure there's others that I, are viewed as not going through that whole channel. But how welcome were you? How, how, how well were you received? I consider myself lucky again. Uh, people that I work with, when they brought me in, they brought me in in such a way where the players got comfortable with me right away. And I spent a lot of time getting to know the staff. My first month there, I went to a pitching conference with our pitching coordinator, which was fun. I was definitely the only woman there. So there was a lot of confusion about who I was and what I was doing from other people at the conference, which was kind of fun. And yeah, from there, I just made sure during spring training to spend a lot of time with all of the athletes, learn everyone's name and something about them so that when I would come in, if I was, you know, testing or doing anything like that, I knew them, I knew them by name, I could ask questions so that they knew that I was actually trying to get to know them. And that really helped. And I also was very transparent when I didn't understand or know what someone meant, because there's a lot of different baseball terms I would just ask. And I think in doing so, people were really kind and open to you know telling me so it made it pretty straightforward and easy but I think you know with anybody whether it's baseball or anywhere else the best way to get into a group is to listen get to know them and that's always been kind of my approach is understanding and learning about these other people before I try to sell anybody on what I'm doing Cool. Now, before we got on the air, you were telling me a little bit about your background and how you were very much into dance. You're in a dance company and, uh, of course, inspired by moving the body and, and fascinated by the human motion and went to school. Uh, was it USC that you went to for your undergrad? Is that correct? Yes, I did my undergrad at USC in kinesiology. And then from there, you went and got a master's in what and where? Biomechanics from uh, Ball State in Indiana. 
Oh man, we could geek out for the entire hour on biomechanics and kinesiology, but I, we'll, we'll save that maybe for another time. I, I'm, I'm asking these questions because there's so many people out there that, that would love to have your job, by the way. So, you know, hold on tight to it. But there's so many aspiring college students, uh, whether they're graduate or undergrad, they're thinking about sports medicine, kinesiology, biomechanics, physical therapy, athletic training. Uh, and it'd be great just to understand, maybe to guide them, you say luck, but we know it's more than that. It, people can be lucky, but they place themselves in positions to be that way. So what, what path did you take through your schooling to, to get you where you are? And aside from, you know, uh, uh, happen to meet somebody at the right time and, and place, so to speak. Um, when I started undergrad, I really, really loved the biomechanics piece, but I also really liked teaching. And I taught gymnastics, children's gymnastics, when I was in junior high and high school. And I really enjoyed that and started to teach Pilates and stuff as well while I was in undergrad. And I knew that I wanted to have some aspect of coaching in there, but I had also a lot of questions and ideas that I wanted to explore, which is why I decided to continue on and go into grad school because I wanted to you know, investigate how these things played into what I was seeing in the weight room, on the field, that sort of thing. What were you seeing? So, what, what were the questions? Yeah, so everything from, you know, what is the best way to come back from an injury in terms of, you know, rebuilding, right? Um, looking at movement, not just looking at the injured area itself, but how that impacts the rest of the body, right? So, Neurologically, there's changes when you have an injury, strength-wise, all of those things come into play. And so I wanted to understand a bit more of that. I knew I didn't want to do physical therapy because I was more interested in preventing an injury from happening than coming back from an injury. And there was actually quite a, a lot of post-injury research but to me, if we could understand what was going on, maybe mechanically prior to an injury, then we could start to do things to make sure that you didn't get injured in the first place. So with that coupled with like the performance piece of how can we make people even better at what they do, I went into grad school and there I did biomechanics and I was looking at how fatigue changes mechanics in um, reactive sidestepping. So when you're on the field and you're reacting to an op opponent's not pre-planned movement and with sidestepping, that's one of the major contributors to non-contact ACL injuries. So I wanted to see pre and post fatigue, what changes in lower extremity biomechanics? Because if we could understand what kinds of changes were happening, maybe there are things that we could do to prevent that from occurring, or at least lower the risk of it happening. And then um, while I was doing that, was when wearables started to get a little bit more um, traction and momentum. And the thing that I found with the lab-based stuff is, it's a snapshot in time. It's, back then it was quite, cumbersome to do with all the markers and then you'd have a marker fly off and just with the data processing time for 3D mocap you're looking at 
maybe several weeks to a month if you had a whole team. And that's a really long time to wait to get feedback. So with that, I knew that I wanted to look more into how could we adapt this to something we could do in the field, right? And that's when I found my PhD program. And one of the biomechanists that I really followed was there. And so I had him as a supervisor, had a strength coach as a supervisor and a physiotherapist. And it was a really nice mix for me, right? Because it gave me the S&C component, the rehabilitation component, and then the pure mechanical component. And so from there, I did sports science and biomechanics. So looking at using wearables in training, in game, and then also looking at different workload indices for a basketball team. Wow. All right. You just got me going. I, I, I love everything you just said. I just, uh, I, I could geek out in a laboratory like that, talk to biomechanists and, and everybody else in your team and have a blast with that. That's amazing. So it just made sense, of course, that you would fall into the position you're in. Curiously enough, the Dodgers sustained some of the fewest injuries of the season. We did. Yeah, that was really nice. And, and I actually look at that as one of the baselines for judging uh, the performance of a team. It's like, how, how often were the players getting injured? And it didn't seem as much. Of course, ACLs, non-contact injuries, that's, that's a huge one. High hamstring pulls, a second one. And uh, maybe inversion sprains potentially, but that's usually with impact on the bases or, or just cleats catching. Are there other uh, injuries that come to the top of the list when we're talking baseball? Oh, absolutely. You have your Tommy John, well, right? yeah. your shoulder injuries, oblique strains can be common both for pitchers and hitters. So there's definitely a number of different things. Even just tendonitis can be an issue. So yeah, we, something I really like about the Dodgers is we will take players that are injured because we believe in our abilities to rehab them and get them back to where they were. So a lot of our guys actually were injured and coming off of surgery when we either traded for them or drafted them. And to see them, you know, excel and to be injury free is really awesome. Yeah, the one thing I like about the Dodgers are you guys aren't the Yankees. And being a Red Sox fan, it's it's really nice to have a team go against the Yankees so often. So, uh, but no, no, you guys have a great a, a great organization down there. And you, speaking of the injuries, uh, a good deal of that, as as I see it, is the the one way rotational nature of the sport. You know, few players are going to be switched stance hitters. They're either going to be right-handed or left-handed. Same thing, of course, with pitching. Uh, very few pitchers are actually going to throw left and right. So you develop these patterns, these torsion routines, these, these kinematic sequences that are not mitigated by something that alternates in the opposite direction. However, I imagine that in the off-season, and this is just a guess on my part, tell me if this holds any water, that a lot of the players do things that are opposing that. Like uh, some of the baseball players will go and become left-handed golfers. Do you, do you have things like that? Because I know that uh, world champion golf drivers, you know, the long distance, long drive champions often in the off season have something where they are 
disc golf throwing or or something else lacrosse where they're they're rotating the opposite direction with your sports science background and the guys that you're working with too is there anything with that in the off season or even during the season oh definitely and i think you know one of the major reasons an injury happens is there's a change in mechanics that compromises the structural integrity of the tissue right yeah so if you're doing an assessment and you can identify the areas through the chain for that specific movement that need to be strong, stable, fast, powerful, able to create a braking force or propulsive, propulsive forces, and you can ensure that the sequence of the movement is correct and you can then build up the tolerance of the tissue to be able to handle those loads and just like you would with anything else, right? You build up that tolerance. So if mechanics are sound and you build up enough of a load tolerance, you shouldn't have any injuries. So I'm right. not, not at all, but you know, the likelihood is quite low, right? Because right. you've adapted to be able to handle that and the tissue itself is actually structurally sound and can handle those loads. Yeah, so uh, assuming that it's not proprietary property, with your assessment protocol, I imagine you do a global assessment, whether with or without videos uh, capturing and 3D or whatnot, but also segmentally. So uh, looking at the uh, internal, external rotation of the ankle, the knee, the hip, segmentally, as well as connected, as well as spinal rotation. And that's just in the transverse plane. I imagine that you're doing it in all three dimensions, but is there a certain protocol that, that your, your team follows in assessment? Are there particular assessments that they do? You know, I think almost every team's gonna do something similar where you're gonna have your range of motion testing with your athletic trainers and medical, right? So you're looking to make sure that they have passive range of motion, that's full range of motion, right? Because if your range of motion is constrained, your strength and power are gonna go down and movement variability goes down, which can also be a risk factor for injury. So that I think across the board, everyone's gonna look at. Then you're gonna look at general movement and then specific movement. You're gonna look at the athlete's engine. Are they stable enough? Are they mobile enough? Are they aerobically in a good spot? Speed, strength, lower body, upper body, and then power, right? To see, is there something that's an issue or a limiting factor or needs to be addressed to make sure that they're able to perform and to perform without that risk of injury? So if you have a guy that's hypermobile, it may be that you need to work on stability. Or if they're not very mobile, but they're very stable then it might be a mobility thing that needs to come into play. Or maybe they're really strong, but they're not that fast, which also is gonna impact power, right? So you know that you have to improve their velocity in order to also improve their power. So we're looking at all of those different things and we're looking at it from you know, a movement standpoint to make sure that we're addressing each of those things that they're gonna need. So with the National Football League, they have the combine, which <laughs> is just going to give a baseline for every athlete 
And whether or not I, I agree with some of the things in the combine, we're going to put that aside for the time being. I think there's a whole bunch of things that are antiquated that don't have any carryover into really performance, but that's beside the point. Major League Baseball, what's the equivalent of the combine for Major League Baseball? Um, I, I believe USA Baseball does a number of assessments with their tournaments for the high school teams, but for most sports, when you're going to be going into the draft, you can have guys come in for workouts. So the NBA does that. Uh, Major League Baseball does that. Really, hockey does that as well. So you're actually able to, to see them potentially. So that process is going to be a lot of the same sorts of assessments you're going to use during spring training and throughout the season with your normal athletes because you're trying to understand where is that person on the continuum and you know how do they look compared to their respective cohort within the organization it gives you a pretty good indication of maybe what you need to work on once you have them or if you have guys that on the field are very similar sometimes using those other testing methods can give you an indication of which person to pick mm -hmm. so yes all right now uh, the one thing we didn't mention in your team of professionals that you are working with was a sports psychologist do you have what do you have a team psychologist or are they uh just affiliated uh, outside of it Nope, we do have a team psychologist, and then we also have a mental skills department as well. And what's that like? What's the mental skills department? What are we talking about with that? So they work primarily with our player development group, so with all of our minor league players. So one of them is fluent in Spanish, so he works with a lot of our Latin players, and uh, the other you know, they work together. So they're working on lots of different skills that help these guys on and off the field, right? So how to mentally, you know, prepare when you're on the mound and it's a difficult situation. You have runners on base and you have one out left and, you know, how do you handle that? So they're working on the very specific skills to address all of that stuff, you know, even just separating what's happening in the game from what's happening in life can be a really important skill. And for our international players, also just adjusting to cultural differences and vice versa. We're also very much focused on making sure that our guys from the States are culturally sensitive to our international players as well. So for each player, what I'm envisioning that you have is you've got a thick file on every player. And in that file, we're going to have information about their strength conditioning program, off season, on season, post season, and so on. You're going to have what their nutritional plan is, uh, what their dietary needs are, what the mental skills coach and the team psychologist uh, are considering uh, this is the priority, as well as the on-field coaching of what these guys are working on. Is, is that accurate? Oh, yes. And you'll find that in any sport. You know, it's, performance is very holistic, and it involves so many different aspects, right? 
psychological, physiological, actually physical, mechanical, all of that comes into play. And so we definitely focus on making sure we cover all of those things for our players and making sure that as a group, we're on the same page too. Do you do sleep studies by chance? Because you we have so much traveling in different time zones. Do you, do you watch what their, their biorhythms are or anything like that? I mean, how deep do you get into this? We definitely look at sleep as one of the components because if you're not sleeping, it's very hard to recover and be ready to play again. So sleep is definitely something that we look at and work on with our guys as well. So is there tech that you're using like the Fitbit or something like that, which is going to record the player's sleep patterns or, or how much restful sleep they'll get? Or is it only when it may be something that's a consideration that you want to measure? Uh, so it's a bit of a mix. Uh, a lot of MLB players have whoop bands. So whoop band or a ring, those are all things you can use as well as just subjective sleep assessments and even from there, depending on the athlete and the need, we can get as, you know, focused and specific as we need to. There's so many different options available and it can be tailored to the individual. And do you deal with the, I won't say the equipment manager, but the acquisition of equipment and, and, uh, and not just uh, bats. I mean, there's specifications that every player must confined, be confined to, but uh, in terms of footwear, uh, performance under like underclothing or anything like that how how scientific are we getting there you know it really depends on the the player and how much you know they want input on certain things a lot of guys are sponsored so the equipment comes from the company that they work with and a lot of it is made specifically for them so that's not necessarily something that I have to sit and troubleshoot with them unless it's something that comes up. And we do always offer whatever they need in that regard, but a lot of them do have, you know, their sponsors, Marucci or whoever, Nike, shoes, you know, all sorts of equipment. So they're gonna have a lot of that already. And I think that's true for a lot of sports, but, um, yeah, we offer whatever they need. And so in terms of the equipment and the tech, we always have new companies coming through with different new toys and gadgets. And depending on what it is and what it does and questions that we have or needs that we have, that allows us to be a little bit more discerning with what we decide to demo and you know actually end up purchasing. So for us, I don't need a million things that do the same thing. I just need one that's easy and straightforward to use and that gives us good information. So there's a million wearables, there's a million you know, different things. You just want the one that you're actually gonna be able to use and that works. So that's part of what I do is to look at those things and help the team make an assessment as to what to use. Very good. Now we're obviously in the off season right now. Preseason begins in a few months. Uh, what what's your role right now in between seasons? What what do you, do you, are you gearing? Obviously, you're gearing up for next season. Or do you have to close up the your your books, so to speak, your office? I mean, where 
What role are you playing at this moment that is different than when you're in season? So in a normal off season, we have guys, we open our major league and our spring training facilities to anyone that wants to come in to train. So last off season, we had anywhere between 20 and 30 players with us in LA five days a week. And then I think they had almost the same amount in Arizona as well. So in the off season, we're still, you know, testing guys, looking at data, really trying to improve upon certain things for each player that we have and just training. So that's usually five days a week. Right now it's a little bit different with COVID, unfortunately, but in a normal off season, we're busy, but in a different way. And also, we do a lot of continuing education during the off season as well. Continuing education for yourself? For the whole group. So we have a lot of people come in. Ah, and do in-service work. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. Very good. Now, uh, with, with the advanced technology, with different concepts in the field of strength conditioning, as well as athletic training and so on, what is the trend, if there is one right now, that you're seeing that is infiltrating uh, Major League Baseball? Like when it comes to promoting better performance, is there one thing that you're seeing above all else that's trending? And can you share that? I think definitely a lot more players are getting interested in tracking sleep and recovery and that sort of thing. And I think as a lot of the different uh, performance tech, you know, continues to grow and develop and get better. I think a lot of players are more interested in using it to help improve performance. So whether that's pitching or hitting or other, you know, specific things on field, a lot of them are starting to get more interested in using it. And, you know, if, if they aren't training at a facility and let's say they have something at home, maybe even having some of that stuff there too. And in regards to performance enhancement, I, I instantly go back to the days of Sammy Sosa and, and McGuire and Bonds and the rest of them. It doesn't seem to be in the news that that's occurring, but how do you keep such things, PED, performance enhancement drugs, uh, out of the clubhouse? What is it that, that uh, yeah, why is that happening? happening? I mean, Personally, I haven't really felt like we needed to go out of our way to make sure of that. I think that's pretty much instilled in the players. They're tested year-round, in-season, off-season. So I the, know that, you know. Has changed. Yes, definitely. And I think, too, the game's changed. You know, there's people are starting to realize that you don't need that to be really good. And I think that as they get more engaged in what they're doing and they can see, actually what's nice about tech is that you can see and measure even small, small changes that I think before we just couldn't detect as easily. So I think when you can see that, it helps mentally when you feel like you're not making improvements. You have something else that you can actually look at and go, wow, okay, I didn't, feel like maybe I was there yet, but obviously I am improving and I'm improving because I'm training five, you know, five days a week in the off season and I'm 
getting eight hours of sleep and I'm eating enough. You know, there's, it makes the basics a lot easier to sell when you can see how much that improves things. Yeah, I think uh, if, if there is something that's trending more and more, it's sports nutrition. Uh, that's really coming into play, at least uh, from different sports of, of having uh, a better dietary plan. But of course, that has trends in itself too, that I'm sure you see that you're gonna have. Well, I imagine you say you've got the, the team dietitians and they're also the chefs, but uh, does, does that mean that all the, the team are using them or do some opt out and try and go in a, and uh, have somebody else do that for them? For the most part, everyone seems to use them because they're quite good and you know they're with the team. And I think one of the things with nutrition, right, is finding something that fits your lifestyle and that's easy. And I think the benefit that we have of them being there all the time is that they can adapt what they do for a person based on their lifestyle and what they enjoy and what works. And that lowers that resistance and that barrier to entry and makes it a lot more seamless and easy to do. And so I think because of that, they don't really have to go elsewhere. And you can troubleshoot with them any day you're there pretty much every day and we can measure changes and all of that so it just makes it really easy very cool now of course you can't foresee the future but uh going into the spring how are you preparing for the next season you know i think the thing that's always important is to look over the season and to be able to see what worked well for guys where they improved and you know kind of come up with a plan for how can we help them be even better right so making sure that the information that you're presenting is stuff that you can actually impact is important i think being able to show the players specifically where they're at and how they did actually highlight their strengths and tie it back to what you do you know whether that's their, you know, warm-up routine with the skills coach, what they do in the weight room, their shoulder programs with the athletic trainers and medical, you know, whatever it is, just making sure that they can see how these things that make them really good at what they do are made even better by these things that we have for them. And that helps to continue to move them forward and give them that incentive that, hey, when I train three days a week, I feel great, I run faster, I hit harder, whatever it is. So yeah, really the big thing is looking at how they did, where they improved, maybe where they stagnated a little bit and then having an idea of the things that you really wanna focus on for them going into the next season. And speaking of this last season, obviously being World Series champions, there were several things that you did right. Is there one that stands out more than anything else? Obviously having the wins is, is a critical thing, but is there a component within the team structure or even the individual players that just clicked that you can say, okay, we need to, we definitely need to have that reoccur this season and how we're going to do it? You know, a lot of things went really well and I think to answer that question, I'm going to answer to the things that 
are more so in the realm of what I'm looking at versus having players that are excellent at baseball and have a depth and understanding of the sport that is hard to teach. I think something that the staff did really well was when we were all on lockdown, we made sure to come up with a plan and something that each player could do to be able to continue to train and make sure that they were building themselves up so that whenever the season started, and keep in mind, we really didn't know when that was gonna happen for a while, they were ready. And that's something that was done quite well. And I think it, a lot of it had to do with how the staff worked together as a group and made sure that we were on the same page and continued to stay in touch with our players and address questions and specific needs and get creative in order to make sure that they had what they needed. How quickly were you able to turn that around? Because it was basically LA and, and uh, LA, I think they were a day ahead of San Francisco. So March 16th, March 15 or 16, I think is when you guys went on shutdown, right? Somewhere around there. At what point in time did you have a plan? Well, we were in Arizona. We got shut down right before spring training ended. Ah. So we really didn't know what was happening and we all had to kind of head back to our respective homes if we could. Some of our players that lived elsewhere that couldn't go home, we had to figure out a place for them to be that was safe. So when that started, we really had no idea what to expect. And so even still, we did what we would do in an off season, which is continue to check in with the players and have a plan, something that they could adapt and do on their own. And that, you know, that was everything from SNC, medical, skills coaches, all of that. So people got to work right away and started moving with that. So that I think is what really made a difference. We didn't wait. We got on top of things right away. The players stayed engaged, which really helped. And we just adapted as needed. Wow. So you had no time off. You just hit the ground running. We did. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So last question, because we're coming up against the clock. What are you looking forward to inside and outside of baseball career wise or, or life wise? What's getting aside from getting you up in the morning and going and working with some amazing athletes, where do you see yourself? That's a great question. Um, I am just looking forward to seeing how, you know, things continue to evolve and change in this specific field. It's been very fast moving and I really enjoy that part of it because there's always something new or, you know, different to learn and to try and to bring into your specific group and your practice. And yeah, I think I'm just open to whatever comes up next. I like new challenges and working with different groups. So hopefully in the future, that'll be coming up for me too. Well, I hope you have as successful of a season this coming year as you did last year. Obviously, it's always great to see teams go back to back. So and it sounds like you've got all your players off the field and on the field just where you want them. So I wish you all the best and thanks for being on. And that's it for this episode of the Zealous Podcast. Thanks, Kate Weiss and the L.A. Dodger organization for spending some time with us this week. If you missed last week, be sure to get that episode downloaded onto your device. Dr. Gary Gray with Gray Institute 
was phenomenal in terms of giving us a whole bunch of information on functional training as he is the godfather of. Next week, Ridge Kiley. You want to talk about functional training? He is the strength conditioning coordinator and coach for Cirque du Soleil in Vegas. So be sure to tune in next week. And thanks for listening.